I have failed a lot in my life. Math quizzes <laughs> failed. Greek quizzes failed miserably. Hebrew quizzes, yep, failed those too. Shots on goal in the soccer games, failed. Basketball shots, miserably fail on those too. What else? Well, let's see. I failed as a son, a brother, a husband, and a father. I failed as an uncle, a friend, a pastor, a student, a leader. I failed as a worker and a follower of Jesus. Specifics? Not today. But you can be rest assured there are many epic fails in my life. You too? Go ahead. It's okay. You can admit it. Because there's no judgment here. And yet, even with all my failures, do you know what? God still uses me. And, And I'm still loved by my God. My, my sins are forgiven. I'm, I'm saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ because I believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You too? So knowing this, knowing that my salvation does not rest on anything I do, but everything that Christ did, I can go forth and live my life for him amidst the successes and the failures. Because his love for me will never be taken away. You too? Good. So over these next three weeks, we're going to be exploring God's word in the Old Testament And we're going to see some people whose failures are highlighted. But also how God's grace, power, and wisdom worked in their lives. And, And from those people, we'll learn that we too, no matter how epic the fail, God can use it and use us for his glory and the good of his kingdom. Would you pray with me? God, we fail all the time, and yet you use us. We're not the first ones to fail you. We pray, Lord, now today that you send your Holy Spirit upon this place, that as we dig into your word, we're moved by the truth of what we see, that even in the midst of failures, you redeem your children. And use those failures for your good. Give us strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to see this, to believe it, and then to know that through our own failures, Lord, you will continue to move your church forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin this series with one of the shadiest dudes in all of the Old Testament. His name 
means deceiver. We're talking about Jacob. And the cool thing is that that we're going to see is that, that while he started out his life as a deceiver, a cheater, a liar, God used him mightily. If you have your Bible or your phone and you want to know where we're at, we're in Genesis 25. We're just going to kind of work our way through here. So as you're working your way to Genesis 25, I want to update you or let you know who this Jacob guy is. He's the grandson of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac and and Rebekah, and he's the twin brother of Esau. Now, when we start there in Genesis 25, we see that Rebekah is with child, and and the the, the children within her are, are struggling. It seems like they're fighting for position. So she goes to the Lord, and she asks the Lord, what is going on? And he explains to her that there are, there are like two nations inside her. And, and he tells her what's going to happen. The biggest idea is that the, the older would serve the younger. So as the months go on, the babies continue to struggle within her. And, and, and then the babies are born. And out first comes this, this burly-looking hairy, red-covered baby named Esau. And, and then this younger brother comes out holding on to the heel, Jacob. And, and what it seemed like Jacob was trying to do was that he was trying to pull his brother back in. He, he was trying to be the, the first one out. You see, from the very start of his life, Jacob was vying for the firstborn birthrights. And blessing. Now they come, the twins grow up, and, and Esau, he loved everything outdoors. He was a skillful hunter. Jacob, he was, he, he was more of a quiet uh, man, a, a man of integrity, and, and he preferred to hang out inside the tent. Which is really quite ironic that Jacob was known as a man of integrity. Because as we see there in the text, Genesis 25, beginning with verse 29, he pulls a fast one on his brother. I'm just going to read this one real quick for us. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau despises, he scorns his birthright, and Jacob plots against his brother with some split pea soup to get the firstborn birthright. Which of these two is worthy of the Lord's favor? Which of these two is worthy of the honor to carry on the promise? Neither. 
Esau, Esau was so hungry, he thought he was going to die. He wasn't, obviously. He kept on talking. He's just exhausted. But what did he do? He gave away this birthright for some lentils and broth and a piece of bread. And then Jacob, holding on to that heel still, right? He took advantage. He deceived his brother. Neither of them deserved the birthright. But what happened? God, right? God in his mercy, God in his grace allowed this to happen, and he still gave the birthright to who? Jacob. Do we deserve anything in this life? Do we deserve any blessings in this life? Are we worthy of the Lord's favor? Are are we worthy of the Lord's blessings? No, but what? God. Right? He, he still gives it to us. He still gives us blessings day after day, even though we might not say thank you. He still gives it to us, even though we don't use the gifts for him. He, he still gives it to us, even though we deceive, lie, and cheat. Every day, he gives us blessing after blessing. Especially that that greatest blessing, that that gift of forgiveness. And and this life with Christ, in his mercy, in his grace, he gives this to us. This this great inheritance. We're heirs of the promise made to Esau, stolen by Jacob, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, that's just one of the instances of Jacob's deception. It continues on, right? Jump ahead to Genesis 27. And what you will see is you will see Rebekah scheming and Jacob deceiving. And you'll see an unwitting Isaac and an impulsive Esau. You put them all together and what do you have? A sorry state of a family, each falling short of the Lord's perfect standard. So what? What do we know from this? Well, well, we know that now our hope cannot rest on what we do. Our hope cannot rest on accomplishments. Time after time after time, we, like this important family of four, fall short. We fail against the Lord's perfect standard. And yet, what does God do? He does what God does. He blesses. He blesses Jacob. Was it supposed to go to him? No. But guess what? It did. Look at 27 verses 35 and 36. 27 verses 35 and 36. But he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? 
What's Esau feeling? Upset, right? He's beyond upset. He's, he's ticked. Jacob dressed like him, and he talked like him, and he even smelled like him. And he stole that second blessing that Esau thought was to be his. And now it's to the point where Jacob needs to leave. Word got out there that that once Isaac's gone, Esau's going to come and knock off his brother. So mom Rebecca picks up on this. She goes to husband Isaac and says, I don't want my boy marrying any of your people. How about we send him to my family? And Isaac's like, okay, that's, that's fine. So he, he gives this blessing to, to send Jacob off to, to, to Rebecca's family to find a wife. You read through those next three to four chapters and you will see God at work in Jacob's life. And along the way, you learn that Jacob sees who's in control. God. God is in control. No matter what Jacob thinks, no matter what we think, God himself is in control. Get this. When you look at this, God allows Jacob to be deceived. By his father-in-law, Laban, this old little switcheroo, after seven years of working for his wife, eh, he didn't quite get the one that he thought he was supposed to get until the next day. Go read it. It's a great story. This is just one of the many tricks and failures that Jacob goes through. And then we get to chapter 32, the second reading that, that Beth read for us. And there in chapter 32, we see Jacob just running away. He's running away from Esau's vengeful wrath. And yet, God still moves mightily. Throughout all these flaws and all these failures and all these fears, God has brought it up to this point, this most transformative moment in Jacob's life. He enters into a wrestling match. Jacob has sent his family and all his belongings across the Jabbok, and he's all alone waiting to see his brother. And suddenly, he is attacked by a man. And throughout the night, the two continue to wrestle. And Jacob holds his own until the match turns quickly. When the man noticed that he was not prevailing, when he was not making any ground on on this Jacob fellow, And the break of day was upon them. With a single touch, the man dislocated Jacob's hip. And then he says, let me go. So what did Jacob do? He hung on tighter. He hung on tighter so that that man could not escape him. And he was slowly beginning to realize that he wasn't just wrestling a mere man. So now he asked for a blessing. But how does the man respond? Does he give him a blessing? No. He asked Jacob the question of, what is your name? Jacob, of course, answered, and he said, my name is deceiver and liar and cheat. 
No, he said, my name is Jacob. But the next response from this man really changed Jacob. Because what did he say? Your name no longer is liar, deceiver, or cheat. Your name is no longer Jacob, but your name is now Israel. Which means you have persisted with God and with men, and you have prevailed. You see what happened here? He's no longer identified by who he was. He's no longer identified by his failures, his deceitful life. Now he is known as Israel. Jacob then proceeds to ask the man his name. But does Jacob receive an answer? No. Rather, he is then blessed. And right here, all of a sudden, the the conversation concludes between the two men. This just isn't any man, right? This is this is God. The man that Jacob has been wrestling with is God. That he struggled with throughout the night, it's God. And this is very important because Jacob realizes since he was face to face with God, you know what he should be? Dead. He should be dead. Yet he's not. He survived. Why? God. By God's grace. Instead of being killed, he walked away with a limp. A constant reminder of his past. A reminder of the struggle with the man. And the key to this entire story is just that, that that Jacob wrestled with God and he did not die, but rather that he received the blessing and a new identity. He was clinging to God until he got something out of it. He was clinging to God until he got some kind of blessing in the midst of all his failures in the face of all kinds of threats to his existence, to his sense of integrity. In the midst of his brother's desire for revenge, his own betrayal of his brother and father, his own failure to overcome his father-in-law Laban's envy and exploitation, his loneliness in the wilderness, this patriarch, this man wrestled with God and won from him a new identity as a special person in God's plan for the entire world. Jacob refused to let go of God even when he appeared to be his adversary. So what? Good story. But you and I can relate You and I can relate to the struggle of Jacob's. We might not physically wrestle with God, but how often in our world does it seem like we confront situations in which it seems that God is wrestling with us? Or that we feel like in our minds we're wrestling with him. 
almost daily sometimes. Failure stares us down. And as failure stares us down, guilt and fear mix into our lives. After we've wronged someone, guilt and fear mix into our lives because we know that we've abandoned God in our sinfulness, whatever that may be. You've done it. I've done it. And at other times, because of our failures, doesn't it seem that God refuses to make his presence known in our lives? Or, or because of our failures, doesn't it feel like sometimes he's declining to grant us what we think we need because we failed and he doesn't like us, he doesn't love us? Isn't this true as we, we sometimes long for a new identity? Or a, a, a fresh start, forgetting what struggles and, and, and failures that we've been through. We want to grab hold of God and, and wrestle him into submission to our wills, to our ways, to our needs. We want the Lord to make himself known in our lives, our way. Luther had something interesting to say about this. Luther said this, God seems to play with us. We struggle with the seeming absence of God and what seems to be his outright opposition to our plans and aspirations or with his seeming to fool us and fool with us. We want clarity from God about his intentions and plans for us. Instead of that kind of clarity and insight, he often simply gives us himself and calls upon us to trust him. Especially when our minds cannot master all that is going on in life and when our bodies cannot assert their strength the way we would like, we have only our God to whom we cling. Those words by Luther written so long ago still ring true today. We do always want to see God acting in our lives. And when we don't, amidst the failures and the struggles, we often forget that God commands us to trust him. Trust him. Because to, to him alone are, are we to cling I, I said I've failed miserably, right? And you have too. So in the midst of all our failures, amongst all our sins that we commit, God still engages us even though he doesn't have to. And when he engages us, you know what he gives us? A new identity. A new identity as his children, right? Waters of holy baptism, given that new identity. Wash clean of all your sin. Confess your sin and hear that you're forgiven. Receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ and know that your sins have been forgiven. He has given you and me, his children, a new identity 
because he's claimed us for himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And daily, daily he renews our identities as his children, as members of his family. Even in the face of all discouragement that we come across. You see, friend, in the different situations you're in, in the face of any opposition, in the face of hostility, yes, even in the face of failure, he has claimed you for himself. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, after wrestling with God, Jacob limped away with a new name and a new identity. Your encounters with God may not leave you with a bad hip limping away like Jacob. But sometimes our encounters with God leave permanent marks. And they are not always pleasant. But you and I, we still limp away from our encounters with God. Marked as his child. Having his blessing given a new identity from God through Christ right to you. That's right. We all walk away from all our encounters with God having his blessing. For you and me, we've seen the face of God in Jesus Christ who received a new identity as God's child through him. Just as Jacob went on his way under his new name to live a life of service to God in the midst of and in spite of many troubles and failures, so we too go on living our lives in service to God with our limps and failures. Why? Because God is with us. Even when we fail, even when he seems to be absent or hostile, God, our Father, has come near to us. He's come near to us in the incarnation of his Son. He's come to near to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, assuming our death for the forgiveness of all our sins. He comes near to us in his body and blood. And he's come near to us in this most wonderful gift of his resurrection. Where he's given to you and to me amidst all our failures. A new name, a new life, forever in heaven with him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.